Our text for today comes from Luke 10, verses 38 through 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work for myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, all right, all right. So, good morning. All right, see, you're with me. You're with me. This is good. Uh, Tomorrow is, for my money, the first day of the year. I think some people think that January 1st is the first day of the year, but the day I send my children to school is, for me, always the first day of the year. And in our town, it kind of feels like that, doesn't it? There are innumerable new things happening around almost every corner. I live uh, just one block from College Hill, and this weekend and next weekend usually are the two rowdiest weekends of the year in my neighborhood. And this is not this is not the University of Iowa or the University of Wisconsin. So the rowdiness is on a level slightly below those places. Uh, and I know this because my brothers went to Iowa, and I spent a little time there from when I was younger. Uh, but. Uh, uh, but it is still, a, there's just life. There's just energy ar- around what seemingly every corner. People are walking around. People are talking too loud and waking up my children. It's, uh, there's, a lot, there's a lot of energy happening. And uh, I know that there's a lot of things happening because this time of year, I, I, we have a, I don't know about you, but we have a big family calendar. And it's right as you go down the stairs and walk to our garage. It's a big chalkboard calendar. And Ashley fills it out. Uh, every month usually, and, the, and I know that the summer is closing in on us, or is coming to a close, when the calendar begins to be filled up in September, and I start to see September and October, and I start to see all these different colors of chalk being written on the calendar, and I see my weekends evaporating, and I see all of this stuff piling up. I know it's the beginning of the year. I know that things are going to start happening. My nights and my weekends are disappearing. I don't get to watch any TV ever uh, this time of year, which is probably a good thing if we're all being honest with ourselves. But there's this thing that happens with the new year that we, we start excited with the beginning of a new school year. We start excited, but by about Thanksgiving, we're ready to tap out, aren't we? Because the, the pace and the energy and the excitement that, uh, that the season begins with, kind of by about midway through, just begins to wear on us. We feel, in, to use one word, busy this time of year, don't we? We feel hurried, maybe. We feel a little bit frazzled. And, if, and if I, would, I would fare to wager that if I were to ask most of you in about three weeks how your week went, you would look at me and you would just say, I'm busy, right? I'm busy, which is a, a perfectly appropriate thing to say. When we get into the meat of a busy season, I sometimes am reminded of that quote from the beginning of The Lord of the Rings, where Gandalf and Bilbo are sitting, I don't, I'm a nerd, don't worry about it, where Gandalf and, 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 and Bilbo are sitting together, and Bilbo says to Gandalf, I feel thin, sort of stretched, like butter, scraped over too much bread, right? And we can all get to that place where we feel thin and stretched, 
where we feel like we are a little too busy, where we feel like things are just kind of getting away from us, where we feel like we have lost, in a sense, ourselves to our schedules. And this is common. This is common in our day, isn't it? In some ways, I think it's kind of an, uh, an epidemic in our day that people just feel so rushed, so busy, so hurried. I've been reading a book the last couple of weeks called uh, Seculosity by a guy named David Zoll. And in this book, he talks about things like technology and parenting and politics and food and about how all those things have become for us in American culture almost religions. And one of the things in this book that he says has become almost a, re a religion to us in America is the religion of busyness, of busyness. Because uh, we use busyness in our culture as a way of displaying and measuring our value as people, right? We do this. What he, what he calls in his book a sense of enoughness. This is how he puts it. He says, busyness now serves as a, as, as a barometer of personal enoughness and therefore justification. The more frantic the activity, the better. The implication, of course, is that if we're not over-occupied, we are inferior to others who are. Busyness has become a virtue in and of itself, right? Zal illustrates this by pointing to a very interesting study done at the University of North Dakota, where researchers collected and analyzed American Christmas cards over the span of 50 years, which academics, right? This is what they do with their time. Uh, but what they found was that over the years, people be, have focused less and less on giving thanks and looking forward into the future and have begun to write in their letters, their Christmas letters, more and more about how busy they were, right? About how busy they are. Christmas cards become a means of signaling my virtue as a busy person. It, it, they, uh, the researchers said that it communicates a busier-than-thou attitude that Americans carry with ourselves. I'm sure you've received a letter like this and begrudgingly stuck it on your fridge, right? Like, oh, Sally, she thinks she's better than me. <laughs> We've adopted busyness as a virtue that signals to the people that we interact with that, my, that I am important and that I'm valuable. This is what we think, because I'm busy. Eugene Peterson puts it this way. He says, I live in a society in which crowded schedules and harassed conditions are evidence of importance. I want to be important, so I, so I develop a crowded schedule and harassed conditions. When others notice, they acknowledge my significance and, and my vanity is fed. The busier I am, the more important I am. Any of you ever felt this way? Now, we may not even be aware that this is what we're doing, that this is a motivating factor for us deep down inside. In fact, I think for most of us, it is a kind of unconscious drive, but I do think it's true. You know, we don't wake up saying to ourselves, I got to stay busy in order to feel good about myself. We don't say that to ourselves, but we know it's true, don't we? We are busy because not out of a sense of obligation, but rather as out of a need to be seen as important or to see ourselves as important. But what we learn is that busyness, too muchness, if you will, is a kind of chronic illness in our country that has real-world uh, ramifications, both for our mental health and for our physical health, which leads me to a question this morning. 
I hope it's a pertinent one for you. What do you think Jesus would have to say about our full schedules in our busy lives? How does Jesus feel about the fact that I am busy? It's an interesting question. It may sound a little strange. It may not sound even very pertinent to any of us. Because we don't often think about Jesus caring that much about the structure of our schedules, right? Like Jesus doesn't care about my daily planner. He cares about other things. We think Jesus is just someone who helps us with the spiritual stuff. We don't think about his way of life finding uh, and the fact that our lives need to find coherence within that way. Now, Jesus' teaching is spiritual, but it also has kind of day-to-day implications for those who choose to follow him. And one of the primary things Jesus says to people who he encounters as he journeys around Galilee in the Gospels is, follow me. This is one of the things that Jesus says to people, right? Follow me. Now, everyone in the first century who heard Jesus say this would have known exactly what he was saying. He wasn't saying, believe in me. That was part of it. He was saying, literally, follow me. Take up my way of life. Do life the way I do it. To adopt Jesus' way of being in the world. This is what the invitation to follow him is is like. And Jesus walks around Galilee offering people a way to live that was different from the way that they were living. Right? Jesus is a kind of interruption in their normal day. We see this in the stories of Jesus' interactions with people as he invites people to journey with him. People are compelled by this invitation of Jesus to follow him. They drop jobs. They leave they leave their family behind. They, they change the structure of their lives in order to follow Jesus. And that, so it seems that Jesus, in his invitation to follow him, has something compelling and something true about the way we should live our lives in our current time. The truth of the matter is, Jesus gives us a way to live. And so I look at my full calendar, and I look at my busyness, And I ask the question again, what would Jesus say about my busy life? And it turns out he would say a lot, I think. Within the Gospels, we have stories and parables and teachings that are all directed to this question. And one of them is found in our teaching text for today. In this passage, Jesus is teaching us about what an unhurried and yet truly significant life looks like through his interaction with these two women, Mary and Martha. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can grab those out. You can turn to Luke 10. You'll find it there. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the Bible that's under the seat in front of you. It'll be good for you to follow along, so you can grab that out and do that. So in this passage, we have the story of Jesus visiting the home of a woman named Martha. Now, what you need to know about this passage in order to really kind of grasp what is happening is that in first century Judea, to have a rabbi visit your home was a very, very big deal. Probably a bigger deal than we think about it in the 21st century uh, when we read it with our lens kind of slapped over the top of the text. Because the culture of first century Judea, like much of the world is still today, was an honor culture. Is anybody familiar with this? An honor culture. America is the exact opposite of an honor culture, just FYI. So what that means is that to violate or to show dishonor to somebody was very, very bad. If you dishonored someone, you 
uh, that you invited into your home, you did not simply dishonor that person, which was bad in and of itself, but you also dishonored your home, your own home, your own family. You put a kind of black mark on your house. And to not provide the proper food and to not care for your guests in the proper way was the quickest way that you could dishonor your guests and by extension dishonor your house and your family. It had incredible social ramifications. And people would go to extravagant lengths in the Bible in order to not dishonor their guests so that they would not be dishonored as a people. And this is what Martha is doing in this passage. She is not just a kind of homemaker who really wants to make sure that she nails the cookies, right? She is responsible that her house not be dishonored, which is an incredibly important thing. And the text says that she is making preparation. She is, she is back away from Jesus and his disciples, and she is making preparations, making sure that everything is just as it should be, making sure that Jesus and, uh, and his disciples and her other guests are cared for, are taken care of. And this is absolutely was what was expected of a woman in this culture. It was expected. We can be hard on Martha when we read this passage back from, with 21st century eyes. But there is absolutely no way that she could have conceived the possibility that that was, what she was, that, that was not what she was supposed to be doing. In her context, in her culture, that was absolutely what she was supposed to be doing. She was responsible for her guests, and by extension, the honor of her family, and she was going to work hard. She was going to work frantically, if need be, in order to ensure that everything worked accordingly. One last thing on Martha. And I think this is important too. She undoubtedly believed that she was working for God. Martha was a good Jewish woman, and she had a rabbi in her house. Yahweh wanted her to do this in her mind. She was literally doing the Lord's work. And I think maybe we can identify with Martha in her hurried activities, believing that we are doing good when we are busy, right? Believing that working frantically, being busy, is in fact the best thing we could be doing at any given moment. We feel we are helping our children. We are being better employees. Maybe we are even pleasing God with the way we are working. We justify our busyness. And like Martha, we probably think we have no other option but to work this way. But Jesus, in this passage, has another perspective, doesn't he? And this whole story comes to a head when Martha, out of a place of what was probably pure exasperation, says to Jesus, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And anyone who's ever had a sibling knows full well this feeling. And not is Martha, uh, not is Mary not helping her, but Mary is sitting at Rabbi Jesus' feet. Now, again, for us in our context, this, is, this doesn't really stand out. But if you were reading this in, in the first century, this would have been a kind of scandal to you. Two things specifically you need to know culturally. The first is that Mary was supposed to be helping Martha, right? Which we all understand. I send my kids to the basement on the regular to clean. And there has never been a time where one of them didn't come up with a sense of justice that one or the other of them wasn't doing the thing that I asked them to do, right? 
But Mary was responsible with Martha to maintain the honor of the house, right? This was her responsibility. This was something she was asked to do, expected to do in that culture. And the second thing you need to know is that women were not allowed to sit at the feet of a rabbi in this culture. They were not allowed. In fact, it was considered scandalous. There were, in, in this day and age, rabbis only had male disciples. There was no such thing as a female disciple of a rabbi, and yet we see Mary do, sitting here at Jesus' feet. Mary, in the eyes of Martha, was dishonoring her house in two ways. She was, doing, she was dishonoring the house by not pr- making preparations and not caring for the needs of their guests, not being hospitable. And she was also dishonoring their house by breaking gender norms in this day and by learning directly from a rabbi, just like a male disciple would. Martha would not have said this to Jesus if she did not expect him to back her up, right? If she thought Jesus was going to reprimand her in some way, she probably wouldn't have said this. But she, I don't know, maybe she thought Jesus just didn't see what was going on. But she comes to Jesus and she, and she brings this to light. And the text tells us that Jesus responds to Martha in this way that is so countercultural. It was, it was countercultural. It threw all the cultural assumptions of that day on their head. But there was also this deep-seated compassion that Jesus speaks to Martha with. If you want to look in the, in the passage in verse 44, this is how Jesus responds to Martha. He says this, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. First, Jesus speaks her name twice, doesn't he? A way in that culture of communicating respect and care. You'll see Jesus refer to his mom this way some in the Gospels as well. Martha is frantic. Martha is worried, upset, busily working for God. And Jesus, by just simply saying her name twice, reorients her priorities and presents her with a new way to live. The priority system of Jesus doesn't prioritize the fl- a flurry of activities. It doesn't prioritize uh, concern. It doesn't prioritize overwork. It doesn't prioritize busyness. It, in in this context, it doesn't even prioritize some of the things that, some of the cultural assumptions that everyone else prioritized. Rather, Jesus reorients Martha's priorities around what truly matters. I love the last line, the last thing Jesus says in this passage. He says, uh, and it will not be taken away from her. And it will not be taken away from her. It is a life centered in and around the person of Jesus. A life that is lived within and around the rhythms of his grace and his love. That restructures the nature of our existence and removes from our lives the relentless push for more. And allows us to kind of extricate ourselves from lives of busy and hurried running it, remove, it allows us to remove ourselves from the frazzled way that we do most of our tasks throughout the week. Jesus teaches this again explicitly in Matthew 11, verses 28 for th- through 30, and I'll be reading from the Message Bible here. He says this, Are you tired and worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me, 
get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. But the problem is, the problem with this when we read Jesus' teachings is that in order to settle into a life like this, in order to settle into the unhurried rhythms of grace, we must decouple ourselves from this sense of value and worth that we place on busyness. In short, we have to decouple our identities from the religion of busyness, which turns out to be incredibly difficult, right? Try to tell that to your professor when you're late on a paper this year, right? See what he says. Try to tell that to your boss when you didn't get that thing done the way he wanted it done. Try to tell that to anyone in our culture who expects you to be on the ball, right? Now, this, uh, this step into the uh, unforced rhythms of grace does not mean a lack of productivity. In some ways, I think it means more productivity, if I'm being honest with you. But it's just not seeing our lives through the lens of busyness, through work, through effort, through powering through on our own steam. You know, the truth of the matter is, is that we want to see ourselves as grinders, don't we? We want to see ourselves as hustlers. We want to see ourselves as worthwhile. We want to see ourselves as hard workers. And so we depend on our own strength, our own ability to get to that place. And yet Jesus makes quite clear all this stuff that we strive after, all of the things we do in order to keep ourselves busy, all of this stuff that we are actually working for when we are being busy can be taken away from us. It can be taken away from us. It is illusory in a, in a way of speaking. So how do we live? Here's the question this morning. How do we live this way of life that Jesus invites us into? This way of unforced, unhurried, unbusy, if that's a word, way of life. How do we do it? Because we live in a culture that conspires to keep us busy, to keep us stressed, to keep us hurried, to keep us frazzled, to keep us running, don't we? If Jesus gives us a whole new way to live in this regard, how do we actually do it? That's the question this morning. Now, uh, the, the classic busy person response to this question is, what rules do you need me to follow to make me not be busy, right? What, <laughs> what added things do I need to do in order to not be a busy person? Which is the classic way that a busy person responds to this teaching, right? What, what, what more things do I need to put on my to-do list so that I cannot be busy? It doesn't work that way. I wouldn't call the things that we're looking at today uh, so much biblical teachings or rules on how to not be busy as much as a kind of awareness that we need to cultivate in order to work well and to work productively, but to not work busily. And Jesus shows us the, the primary thing that we need to do in order to kind of extricate ourselves from this culture of busyness when he speaks to Mary and Martha. And to sum it up, if I were to sum it up, it would be that all our fruitful activity, everything good that we do, should flow out of an awareness of Christ in our lives. All our fruitful activity flows out of an awareness of Christ. This could be, uh, this idea, if we wanted to, it could be boiled down to the idea of quiet time or devotions, 
a regular time each day that you set aside to attend to our relationship with Jesus, and that is a very good thing that we should all be doing. But I like to think of the activity of, uh, of cultivating an awareness of Christ or drawing close to Jesus as a kind of whole life activity, something we have to do with the entirety of our being. It is an awareness. It is an openness to the Holy Spirit that we cultivate in our lives. And this means that it has to be, doesn't have to be, but it should be an all-the-time thing. But often, this awareness, this uh, life awareness of God and of connection to Christ that we are called to cultivate does begin in the place of prayer. It does begin with that little first step, that little first disciplined uh, activity, that, that timer that we set on our phones that wakes us up in the morning so that we can attend to the things of God, that timer we put on our it's always on my phone, sorry. That, maybe you have a notebook, that you, a calendar, whatever it is. That, that timer you put on your phone that, that, uh, that rings around lunchtime, that awakens you to the reality of God. Whatever it is, but it does start in the place of prayer. I do, I do believe this. And prayer, by its very definition, is not hurried or rushed. A rushed or hurried prayer is not prayer. This is how C.S. Lewis says it. He says, in order to pray, I have to be paying more attention to God than to what people are saying to me, <laughs> which makes sense. More attention to God than to my clamoring ego. Usually, for that to happen, there must be a deliberate withdrawal from the noise of the day, a disciplined detachment from the insatiable self. <laughs> a, dis a disciplined detachment from the insatiable self. Lewis was also famous for saying that only, only lazy people uh, work over hard, which I thought was a funny thing for him to say. And so the question is, are you taking Jesus up on his invitation, the invitation he extends to both Mary and Martha, to deliberately withdraw from the noise of your day and to attend to him? If not, I can all but assume and assure you that our days will be rushed and busy. It is in this place that we learn how to live uh, a whole and full life. It, it, it's a place where we learn to live unhurried and restful lives, even when our day is a little frantic, even when things are weighing down on us. And so many Christians through, through the years have learned this reality, that there needs to be intentional time of withdrawal in order to live our lives in a productive manner. And in order to live our lives uh, oriented around the right thing, oriented around an awareness of Christ. And so Christians, have, Christians through the centuries have realized that it is not just in one time of day, one time a day, that we need to do this. Often Christians throughout church history have found out that it's multiple times a day that we need to remind ourselves of the reality of Christ and to reconnect to the source. And so Christians throughout history have created things like fixed hour prayer, if you've ever heard of that. It's also called praying the hours. Um, uh, Benedictine monks did a really good job of this. They prayed like eight or nine times a day. I'm not asking you to do that. But what I am saying is that we do have to have a kind of mechanism in our lives to, re to remind us of the reality of Christ. Because if there is not that mechanism there, we will not do it. We will not do it. And there is structure and there is discipline involved in this process, but it is important. I would encourage you that one time a day is not enough. One time a day is not enough. One, uh, one, even if it's a long period of time in the morning, is not enough. That we need to be constantly, uh, that we need to be constantly aware of Christ in our lives. And we do that through, I think, little, 
usually short opportunities or uh, opportunities for awareness. One way that you can do this is simply put something on your phone. This is the, for most of us, this is the way it goes. Set an alarm clock three times a day. And what, I'm what I think we're asking of you is not uh, that you need to spend an hour three times a day. Maybe it's just to quiet yourself enough, to remove yourself from the noise of the day, just enough to say the Lord's Prayer, right? Just enough to take a breath, just enough to wake yourself up to the reality of God that is all around you, just enough to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit enough to help you to calm and to help you to not work out of a place of striving or ego, but to rather work out of a place of being connected to the vine, connected to Christ. This is really, really important, and it becomes, when you put that as a regular rhythm in your day, it becomes something that gives you, gives your life meaning and focus and direction. You're not spinning off in all these kind of crazy directions, focusing on things you're not supposed to be focused on, getting really mad that that email that you tried to send just wouldn't send three times in a row, right? Somebody, somebody's with me. Uh, this is what it does. Jesus' words to Mary and to Martha are true. Our work, our effort, it does not flow out of anything other than a dynamic attention to Jesus. And if it does flow out of anything other than that, our work will slip into busyness. It will. It's inevitable. So that's the first thing and the most important thing. If you get anything to this morning, it is this idea of uh, dynamic connection to the awareness of Christ in our lives. But the second one I think is helpful too. This is imminently uh, practical. Get an anti-busyness mentor. I think that's up there. Get an anti-busyness mentor. And you might be asking, is that a profession? Like, can I pay someone to do this for me? It's like a life coach, right? It's an anti-busyness mentor, which I'm going to start. I charge $100 every 10 minutes. Um, <laughs> so let's get it in. Otherwise, you owe me $200, right? It sounds strange, right, that we need an anti-busyness mentor, but I think this is really good. For me, uh, this has come through authors, through people I have read. Uh, but it is true, in the way, people who follow in the way of Jesus learn the, learn the way of Jesus from other people, other people who have gone before them, other people have, who have lived in the way of Jesus before them. And it, it, is a, it is a fundamental part of Christianity, and I think part of the way that we live kind of unhurried lives is by learning from people who have learned to live that way before us. Does any of you know anyone? Can you think of anyone in your life who's a follower of Jesus who lives this way? Who you just, they just have this abundant sense of calm. And maybe they've accomplished a lot in their lives, but they just have this way of going about their lives that is different from the way, from the default American way of going about our lives. Uh, a few of the authors that I've learned from a lot in this regard, one is Dallas Willard. He's great on it. Most important for me is uh, the pastor, Eugene Peterson, who I quoted uh, twice earlier because he's the translator of the message, translation of the Bible, and I quoted him earlier, and another uh, writer named Henry Nouwen, all really good. Any book you uh, look up by either of those guys will help in this regard. But Peterson wrote uh, an essay that I read this week, actually, called The Unbusy Pastor, because he knows that even uh, pastors have this struggle as well, uh, to be busy. For Peterson, to live life out of this sense of ease and intention uh, was about not striving for a sense of uh, worth from the things we do, not being pushed around by other people's expectation of us, but rather to live out of a place, place of restful intentionality. And he did this wonderfully, partially because he was very tempted to live the other way. He was a very driven guy. And by seeing this intentionality that he has put into his life through his writings, 
uh, it has helped me, in a sense, to really focus on the things that really matter. To, to, uh, to put aside kind of the, the, the busyness that I, that I naturally want to do in order to make myself feel good, and to, the, to instead attend to the things that really matter, and it, attend to my work out of that place. Now, I'm very bad at this, right? So, just a caveat. I'm very bad at this. You will be very bad at this, right? But it is a process in our lives. We are all Midwestern people, and so work, uh, most of us at least, and so work for us is a virtue, right? If somebody doesn't know how to work, they have a problem, right, in the Midwest. But the truth of the matter is, is that it is not about our lack of work. It is not about our lack of productivity. It's rather about the place from which those things spring. And seeing a life that has been decluttered with, from busy, has been dis, decoupled from busy, a life that is focused on the things of God, has a way of inspiring us and showing us the way. You know, the promise of Scripture and the promise of the teachings of Jesus is that through a vital connection with God, there is a whole new way to live. And that that way of, uh, that way of living in regards to our busyness and to our hurry is freeing for us. You know, in studying for this passage, one of the verses, and as we close today, I just want to leave this with you. One of the verses that really struck me was out of, out of Isaiah 30, verses 15. This is what the passage says. It says, In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. And this morning, the question is, I think for each of us individually, is how would Jesus feel about our busyness? But the second question is, do you, do you have regular rhythms in your life that allow you to return to rest, to quietness, to trust? And in that place, do you find your strength? If we find our strength in anything other than, the act, than, than an awareness of the presence of Jesus in our lives, we will be busy. We will be hurried. But if we live out of a place of abiding, if we live out of a place of awareness of God's love in our lives, if that is the place where we live out of and not out of a place of ego, we will be less busy. And our work will flourish in a way that it will not flourish when we simply toil and spin and run on our own energy. And the invitation of Jesus this morning is this very invitation into a whole new way of being, a whole new mode of being. And I assure you, if you live out of this way of being in the world, people will take notice. They will. Will you stand with me this morning as we close? Let's pray together. Father, we love you, and we thank you uh, that you've gathered us together here this morning. We, and we thank you that you have provided us a way to live, a way to live that is so drastically different from the predominant ways of our, of our culture and of our world. We thank you that you've invited us into a way of life that is, that is freeing God, that is not driven by, uh, by hurry or by obligation or by busyness, but rather is motivated, is, is the engine of our lives is our awareness, our connection to Jesus. And so, God, I pray for all of us this morning 
as we go about this next season of our lives, the season that is inevitably going to have a little bit more to do, God, than the one that came before it. And I pray that as we head into the fall, as we head into this new school year, that we would not be motivated by our own sense of worth, God, that we wouldn't be motivated by a sense of people seeing us as important, but rather we would be motivated by our active connection to the person of Jesus and that all of our work would flow out of that place. And for those of us in this place who might be tempted to be busy more than others, God, I pray that they would learn to cultivate an awareness of Christ's love for them in the midst of their busy lives, and that they could lean in and rest in that place. That they would find, God, the source of their life in the person of Jesus. And that that would change everything. And we pray it all now in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. You can be seated for one sec. Just one quick instruction before we head out this morning. Uh, 